So this is God's word from Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 511. Hear now God's word. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And Ananias, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in and found her dead and carried her out and buried her beside her husband, and great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, it's passages like this that make us squeamish. It's passages like this that, Lord, have tempted us to to stay away and to believe the lies that our culture and that this world and that the enemy of our soul wants us to believe. And we reject those lies right now in Jesus' name. Lord, we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come and be our teacher, to open our hearts to understand what before we could not to speak to us in a way that clearly communicates that you get us and that we can trust you. For there is no one like you, Lord. There is no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth. There is no name like yours, Lord Jesus. And what we want to know is more of you, even when it costs more of us to do so. And so like John the Baptist said, Lord, would you help us this day to decrease, to humble ourselves so that you might increase and raise us up. Be glorified in our midst, Lord God. Protect us from the enemy and send your Holy Spirit. Shake the foundations of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You still glad you're here? All right, cool. Next question. What do you want for Christmas? 
Have you, have you been asked that question already? Have, has someone come up to you and asked, what do you want for Christmas? Because if they have, I want you to know they've committed blasphemy. They've committed blasphemy. Why do I say that? Well, because it's too soon. This is a, a picture from about 10 years ago of the Thanksgiving gathering that we have every Thanksgiving down in Virginia. You see how cute my kids used to be? Oh, they're a little bigger and smellier now, right? But like, the reality is, so much stuff, we just skip right over Thanksgiving and we go right to Christmas. It's blasphemous. It's kind of like having one of these in the summertime. Raise your hand right now if you had a pumpkin spice latte in August. I want to see hands. Thanks be to God. I don't say, oh, there's one. Thank you for your honesty. Two, thank you for your honesty. You guys are welcome to leave. So here's the thing, right? Like we, we do things out of order and it just feels like that's kind of weird, right? But why are we talking about this? Well, because of this. I, I want you to know, guys, please listen to me. Public service announcement. When that special someone comes to you and you start talking about Christmas and you say, what do you want, honey? And she says, you don't have to get me anything. That is a trap, bros. That is a huge trap. Because it's not just, hey, get me this, which would be really nice to hear, ladies, right? But it's not only do you need to get me something, but you need to figure out what I actually want, and it better be good because it needs to communicate that you know and love me. Hello, pressure. If you show up and give the very thing she asked for, you are dead. You're dead. Do not listen. It's a trap, okay? Public service announcement number two. Ladies, and anyone else who does this, I'm not just trying to be sexist here, but listen, we, we all laugh because we know, right? Like, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. Be careful what you're asking for, because <laughs> if you want nothing, then ask for nothing and you might get nothing. But if you want something, then ask for something, because you're more likely to get the something that you actually want. <sighs> Why are we talking about this? Because Christmas is right around the corner, we need to prepare, right? No. It's because so often in our lives, this is precisely how we interact with God. We say to God, oh, I don't, I don't want anything. I don't, I don't need anything. I don't want to even ask for anything. For the very same reasons that we don't ask our beloveds on this world, on this globe. And what is that reason? It's because we're afraid. We're afraid that if we're honest and we ask, and he says no, then what? What do we do? And so instead of asking, instead of being honest, instead of being transparent, instead of taking the risk, what do we do? I don't need you. No, maybe I'll ask for a little something when I really, what I want is the very love and identity and value for which I was made. What I really want is you, not just your stuff. I want all of you, but I'm so afraid to ask because I think and I already believe deep down that you're not for me. None of us say that out loud, but boy, does it come out in the way that we live our lives. This morning, we continue in our sermon series through the book of Acts that we've been calling The Mission of the Holy Spirit, where we've been following these crazy first disciples of Jesus after Jesus rose and went to heaven and sat down at the, the right hand of God the Father and sent the Holy Spirit as he promised, and we're learning things about what it means to live this side of the cross, this side of what's called Pentecost, that moment when God sent out his Holy Spirit. Let me put it to you very plainly. 
We cannot and we must not live like those who do not have the Holy Spirit. Jesus died for one reason, and it wasn't simply that our sins would be forgiven. Our sins forgiving, for him forgiving our sins is a, is a means to an end. It's not the end. The means to the end of us being reunited with God, which is why the Holy Spirit coming into our lives now matters so much because it's God, heaven, breaking into this world and giving us what the Bible calls a down payment, a foretaste of what we will forever enjoy in its fullness when we see Jesus face to face, when heaven and earth are one reality, and when everything sad becomes untrue. If you're listening to the words coming out of my mouth, how are you still sitting down? That day is coming, friends. That day is coming when everything sad will be untrue. And it's already broken in in the person and work of our Lord Jesus and now his Holy Spirit. Last week, Tommy preached an excellent sermon for us that was all about boldness because we saw uh, the the apostles, Peter and John, preaching about this Jesus and the, the leaders of the day telling them to be quiet. Don't do that anymore. Why? Because they had seen a crippled man who was crippled from the time he was 40, by the time he was born, rather, and he was crippled for 40 years, which means he's been crippled his whole life. This is not some small little like dinky, like, oh, he stubbed his toe, he can't walk, and now he's healed. Hallelujah. It's 40 years of watching this guy be crippled, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene through his disciples, uh, uh, Peter and John, and he heals this crippled man. And you're like, wait a second. Shouldn't they be celebrating this? Shouldn't they be over the moon? Like, wow, this really happened. Well, remember what we talked about. When you've already decided what is possible, when your worldview has already said Jesus isn't possible, then every time Jesus shows up and does the impossible, what are you going to do? Nope. Not possible. That doesn't fit. I need to find a way to explain this away and push it away. Do you remember we said two weeks ago, the inevitable outcome of deciding beforehand what Jesus is and isn't able to do is violence. It is us being violent towards him and towards one another as we try to shape him in our image and force everyone around us to agree. You know what we call that today? Culture. They prayed for more boldness and they received more boldness. Remember, the Holy Spirit falls and that building shakes. And they receive the fullness of his love. And they probably received the gifts then too, speaking in tongues and prophesying. And you know, I've been praying for that for our church. Does that scare you? I hope not. Because I've been watching and listening and looking as God is moving in your hearts and as he's giving you words that you don't realize are prophetic to speak to one another about what's going on in each other's hearts. We, we're, we're afraid of that word oftentimes, but that's what it is. As God moves in your heart and you're praying, and you, he moves you to pray for this person, and you reach out with a text message and they said, I'm so glad you texted me because right at this moment I was struggling with X, Y, and Z. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's a word of prophecy. We must be praying for this and walking in this. Today our theme is simply this. In the end, God will always give us our heart's desire. In the end, God will always give us our heart's desire. 
And I want you to see those two points underneath there. True transformation is fulfilled delight. <laughs> it gives us our heart's desire. But true terror is also fulfilled delight. Let me explain what that means. First, true transformation is fulfilled delight. Our passage starts off with everyone of, in one heart and one soul. Everyone is united in what they're thinking and what they're feeling and what they're believing and how they're living. And I want you to see that that is a promise fulfilled. Deuteronomy 10 in particular talks about how God says when, he gives, when he's gonna, about to give the law, he says, you're not going to be able to fulfill this. You're not going to be able to live it. And so here's what I'm going to do in the future. I'm going to circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. It's a gruesome, gruesome picture. It's gross. But they were all about circumcision in the Old Testament as the sign of God's covenant people. And he says, that's just a symbol. That's just a window through which to understand what I'm actually doing on the inside. I'm going to change you from the inside so that when your heart is changed, your behavior and desires will change as well. It's the same thing that he echoes in Ezekiel 36 when he says, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and I'm going to cause you to want to walk in my ways. Do you see how much God gets us? How many of us have struggled, even this week, to do the things we know we ought to do? Come on, let me see your honest hands. Cat, no struggle? Praise God, that's awesome. <laughs> right? Like, all of us struggle to do the things that we know we're supposed to do, and all of us struggle to not do the things we know we're not supposed to do. All of us do, which is why the only way we're going to have a God who loves us the only way that God is going to be able to shape and change us is to change us from the inside out. If he says, hey, just try harder, guess what we've been doing our whole lives? <laughs> How's that working out for you? It doesn't work. So we need a God who's going to change us from the inside out, and that's exactly who he promised to be. In fact, he says in the Psalm, Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and, I, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Translation, as we delight more in him, we're going to want more of what he's about, and then he's going to give us more of who he's about and what he's about, and he's going to push us out there. But that same principle works both directions. If we're delighting in God, he's going to give us more God, but if we're delighting in not God, what is he going to give us? More not God. Because God works in relationship with us. God's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a concept to be thought about. He's a person who wants relationship. And in that relationship, he's going to give us what we're asking for. Deep delight always overflows. Realize in our passage for this morning, you have picture after picture of all these different people who owned a whole bunch of stuff and who all of a sudden started to recalibrate their possessions. Some people point to this passage and are like, look, it's early Marxism and communism. It's right there in Scripture. You know the difference between this and what communism and Marxism is? Coercion. Communism and Marxism is a power swap hidden under the guise of money and resources. It's simply this group of people stealing power from this group of people and talking about even distribution. Christianity, on the other hand, is about a people who've been given everything by their leader. Everything. And who then freely turn around and want to give everything away because of what they've received. Do you see the difference? Huge difference. And we see it playing out in our passage here, those compelled, not coerced by love. But the principle for us to take away from that is simple. My abundance is my assignment. Can we say that together? My abundance is my assignment. What does that mean? It means 
when you're in life right now, when you look around and you see the things that you have a lot of, that is your assignment moving forward. Some, for some of us, that is money. For others of us, that's time. For others of us, that is emotional energy. For some of us, that's need. For others, it's the weight of suffering. What? How's that my assignment? To share it. To share it. Because that's the season you're in right now. You see, it's not always about us giving. It's also about us receiving. It says they sold their possessions and goods so that no one amongst them had need, which meant those who had need were sharing their needs so those who had could share and meet the needs of those who did not have. And every one of us in this room at one point or another will be those who have and those who have not. And so it's not a shame thing. It's not a status thing. It's a need thing. It's an honesty thing. It's what we talked about from the beginning. Will I actually be honest about what I need and want? Will I share that with God and those around me and watch as he provides for me? What are we going to do? Because you have a picture in Barnabas, this guy named Joseph, that they rename. If you get a new name, it's usually because people either don't like you or really do like you, right? In this case, it's because they really do like him because they name him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. What was he having a lot of? Encouragement, heart delight. This dude's life had been changed. He was a Levite, which meant he he spent his life ministering to the people of God, and then he saw in Jesus the fulfillment of his whole life's work, and so now he wants to give everything away because he's seen and heard and known this Jesus. And so he sells his possessions to help care for the poor, and all of a sudden, you're going to see play out in the pages of Scripture that this Barnabas no longer stays in Cyprus to be a minister to this small group of people but becomes one of the the pillars of the church going out with Paul on his first missionary journey to see hundreds and thousands and then millions of people have their lives completely transformed because of this Jesus. Barnabas was all in. He gave his heart, and he was blessed and was a blessing. I want you to realize, friends, with deep encouragement, this is what God is doing in our midst. God has been working in us, friends. It's a, there's a reason why there's a hunger that's growing here and a passion that's growing here because we're watching God move and you continue to give him your yes. And I'm so proud of you in those ways and I want to encourage you to keep leaning in, transformed by abundant grace. Many of us have come to know Jesus for the first time in this season of our lives. Praise God and hallelujah. Others of us are getting to know him in a new and different way, a deeper way than we've ever known before. Praise God and hallelujah. It's all about his grace and realizing that the things we thought God was going to hold against us, he never has. Did you hear what I just said? Not just he won't, not just he isn't, he never has. Rejoicing in the wonder of his love is beyond simply religion. It's beyond simply doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. It's it's us learning to actually enjoy the one for whom we were made. Huge difference. Not just a weight coming off, but a joy filling its spot. That's what we're saved for. United in the desire for more. That's what we preached an entire year on and lived into. We want more because there is more. Jesus, we want more of you. And the answer is still yes. There is more for us to have. And that's why this whole idea of us sacrificing 
taking the step. If we want more of him, make no mistake about it, friends. Our next level of spiritual maturity is connected to our next willing step of sacrifice. Did you hear what I just said? If you want to grow, be ready to sacrifice. Be ready to step out by faith. Sacrifice does not simply mean money. It may mean money, but it can also mean time. But you know what it absolutely means? Control. Sacrifice control. Giving up the right to say to God, this far and no further. Because God's the one who knows when no further actually is in your life. And you know what he says? It's after you're dead. I can't take it. It's killing me. You're right. He's told us that from the beginning. If anyone would come after me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross every day and follow me. The cross is not an instrument of joy. It is an instrument of death that he calls us to bear with him, to follow him and trust that every day dying to self is another day learning to live for him. Where have we seen this? Let me give you a few examples. First, our community outreach last year and getting ready for this year. For those of you who signed up, thank you. For those of you who will sign up, thank you. We are a church not just in suffering but for suffering. Right? And as we've talked about before, it's not because we all live here, it's because our church is here. And so we want to love our community in such a way that if we ever left, they would mourn. We want them to taste and see the beauty and wonder of Jesus, which is why we do crazy stuff like this. And so come show up, help us set up. We're going to have fire pits, we need people to bake cookies. It's all right there on the sign up. Come be a part of that. But there are many who already have and many who already did, and we praise God for what he's doing. We, we haven't just seen it in our outreach, we see it in our soul youth. Do you know every time there's a school, like a day off from school, this place is packed with teenagers. Stay home. No, just kidding, just kidding. It is a beautiful thing that they want to hang together, that they've tasted something about life together, that they want to be downstairs, that's where this picture is taken, playing video games or outside playing basketball or volleyball, that they're intentionally making this time together because they know they were made for this sort of community. But it's not just that. They invite friends to that. It's not just, hey, oh, we, we're really cool, we got our thing. They're getting the mission and they're praying for their friends to come be a part of it. Our teens are leading the way, friends. But it's not just our teens. It's also some of our adults making time, taking days off from work to go get trained in things like soul care so that we can continue to expand our team and expand our ministry so that the kingdom can come here, so that those of us who have been enslaved to, to the forces of darkness, to the demonic is what we're talking about, for our whole lives and didn't know it can be set free. For where else do you find the kingdom of light? that can say to death himself, be gone, and it listens. Only in the church of Jesus Christ. Only those who have the Holy Spirit. What about for those of you who have faithfully given? Can I share with you? Part of where your, your resources go are to help those in our midst who need help, who don't have uh, the help that they need. Well, one of the, one of the ways that I, we've seen that happen over the last couple weeks is there's been someone in our midst who's essentially been homeless for the last eight months, going from home to home, crashing on couches, and some of them were yours, thank you, but looking for God to provide. And because of your resources, 
we were able to help this person get into an apartment that she can call home, and she has now, for, at least for the next year. Do you see the way that God is moving in you even as you give sacrificially? Well, what about this picture here? You guys know these two knuckleheads. Michael's here this morning. Janet's not because she's homesick with COVID. Please pray for Janet. She only has one working lung, friends. Pray for her. I got this picture texted to me. Hey, look who I'm hanging out with. You know why I'm sharing it with you? Because Janet lost another son this year. And when she lost another son this year, one of God's sons, who's a part of this family, said, I'm going to adopt Janet to be my mother. And that's exactly what Michael has done. And reaching out to her and loving on her and taking her to lunch and helping to meet her needs. And friends, what has been beautiful is even just this week, I'm going to pick on you some more, Michael. Even just this week, when I was talking to Janet on the phone, she could barely talk to me. She's coughing, can't catch her breath. She's like worried that she's not going to have the energy to make Thanksgiving dinner for her daughter, Joe, who's physically disabled, and her husband, who's also physically disabled. And right away, God puts someone on my heart. Michael. I pick up the phone. Hey, Pastor Will, what's up? What do you need? Here's the need with Janet. Don't even worry about it. I got it. I'm going to bring food over on Thanksgiving. Come on. Come on. Come on. Now, I just stole some of his treasure in heaven because I shared it here. Sorry, Michael. But Here's the thing, right? Here's the principle that we're talking about. Learning to delight in the one we were made to love is deep soul satisfaction. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's what he promises. It's what he does. And it's what we're experiencing in our midst. And some of you are waiting for the but. But our second point is true terror is fulfilled delight as well. What are we supposed to do with chapter 5? With Ananias and Sapphira, that passage that we read about this couple that sells their field and gives half of it only, the proceeds, and they both fall down dead. Is, is this a great passage for encouraging generous giving? <laughs> Maybe some of you have heard it used that way. If not, if you have, I'm very sorry. That's not correct. <laughs> That's not the point of this passage. What, what about, is this, is this actually just a window into God's mean side? Is this where we see that God is really just a harsh God? He overreacts to things, and, and we can't really trust him because he's mean. Well, obviously, the answer to both of those things is no. The answer to both of those things is no. What we see here instead is the very same delight principle. It's on display. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in not the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so when Ananias and Sapphira decide to do the very thing that we try to do, which is deceive God, I'm going to give him some of me, but not all of me because I'm scared and I'm afraid like we talked about before. So I'm going to hold back and I'm going to, I'm going to try to shape God into a God that's going to be okay with that. He only wants half my heart. No, he wants your whole heart. But I'm going to try to shape God into a God that's after my own image. And then all of a sudden I'm going to find a God who's after my own image, which means he can't save me. He can't sustain me. He can't even give me the air that I breathe. Did you notice that same phrase used twice over 
and he breathed his last, and she breathed his last. Do you think it's by mistake that when God was forming humanity, it said that he formed us out of the dust, and then he breathed his ruach, his breath, into our nostrils? Who is the one who gives you the very air you breathe? Who is the one who gives you the very ability to breathe air at all? The one who shaped you and the one who gave you his life by blowing his ruach, his spirit, his breath into your very lungs. When we choose not God, that's precisely what he gives us. This is a picture of that breaking in. The same way we talk about the kingdom breaking in. God, let your kingdom break in now. Let's taste some of heaven. God's giving us a picture right here of that other side breaking in, of the reality of where all of us are going to go and what will be true of all of us if we choose not God. If we don't want life, what's the other option? Death. If we don't want love, what's the other option? Hatred. If we don't want joy, What's the other option? Sadness. There's no in-between. There's no spectrum. God isn't just the one who gives life. He is life. God isn't the one who just gives us love. He is love. So there's none of those things apart from him. Are you following? Because what we're about to unpack is going to be really important. First of all, God says, he's not deceived. You're going to reap what you sow. That's the principle here, the reaping and sowing principle. But bear in mind this reality. This goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. What caused Adam and Eve to sin against God? What, what was their actual rebellion? They thought that God had what? Betrayed them. They denied God at his essence being good. There's a goodness apart from God because God's holding back. We should be more like him, and so we're going to reject him and actually do the very thing we've said he did to us. I know you might have just gotten lost there. Let me rephrase what I just said. When we say to God, you're not good, and we choose to betray him, we reveal a heart that thought he was betraying us. We become the very thing we're blaming him for being. You following? We think he's the bad guy, and we become the bad guy to push away from him. From the beginning, that was the trap that was set for us, and it's been the choices that we've made over and over and over again. And friends, they never produce what they promise to produce. Think about it for just a second. Just think about it. If you are a student and you're afraid that your teacher's not going to give you the grade you deserve no matter how hard you try, and you become a half-hearted student, what kind of grades are you going to get? Half-hearted grades. You're going to get the very grades you, from the beginning, decided your teacher was going to give you anyway. You become the fulfillment of your fear. What about when it comes to friends, friendships? If you're the kind of friend who protects yourself because you don't want to get hurt, and so you have high walls and you keep distance, guess what kind of friendships you're going to have? Half-hearted, high walls, and distant friendships. No one's going to come in. Why? Because you produced an environment that doesn't allow them to do that. We become the very thing that we fear. What about parents? How many of us as parents look back at our parenting of our adult children and wish we could have done things differently because we gave in to fear and didn't give our whole hearts in loving them and sacrificing for them and providing for them? How many of you that are not yet parents think you're not going to make the same mistakes? 
Do you see what happens when we do things halfway? It's not about halfway. It's not about judging the goodness of God. He betrayed us, so therefore we have to push away because we can't trust him. That is a lie from the pit of hell, and it's been the lie from the beginning. The truth is, God has always wholeheartedly loved us. He's always wholeheartedly loved us. He spared nothing. He could have held us accountable, made us pay for what we did, our rebellion, our betrayal. But do you remember what he said from the beginning? No matter what you do, no matter what you do, I'm going to be faithful to you. No matter what you do, I'm going to pursue you. No matter what you do, I'm going to come after you. No matter what, I'm going to love you. When you betray me, I will never betray you. When you are unfaithful, I will always be faithful. My love is not dependent upon your response. My love will shape your response. Do you see the difference? God has always wholeheartedly loved us, surrendering all to share all, which is why when Jesus says, hey, I'm the way, (laughs) if you want to know the way to get to the Father, I'm the way. So half-hearted is not the way. Wholehearted is the way. It is the way. Because, friends, what we were made to do is delight in Him. Some of you have been tempted to hear what we're talking about in here as simply conviction, right? As simply maybe even shaming. Like, oh my goodness, that's what I do. That's where I am. Can I tell you that the, the voice of accusation is not the voice you need to listen to this morning? The only one accusing you is the enemy of your soul who wants you to stay there. And I command him in Jesus' name to shut his mouth. This morning, you need to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit who convicts for the sake of shaping us, of setting us free from these old ways of living and thinking and doing so that we can begin to walk through life differently than we ever have before with our whole hearts. We were made, we were made, we were made for one reason, to love God and be loved by Him. End of story. That's what He wants. That's why we're here. Anything less is not enough. And when we learn to delight ourselves in Him, and when we choose to just step out by faith, He gives us the desires of our hearts. But when we choose not to, When we hide and we believe he's not safe or good, he gives us the desires of our hearts. Which will you choose? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone comes to the door and opens it up, I'll come in and eat with him. Sounds kind of like Thanksgiving. Jesus wants you to welcome him in. He's not going to break down the door. He's not going to force you. He's not here to shame you. He wants you to open the door. And as you open the door, he's going to shape you and fill you with such a feast of his grace and of his love. Friends, that's our challenge for this week. It's Thanksgiving. And that is such a weird mixture for many of us of, yeah, it's Thanksgiving, I get time off, and wow, it's Thanksgiving, I have to be with family, right? We love our families, but families can be hard to be with. Can I remember who you are, uh, remind you who you are first? 
Whose family are you a part of before any other? What meal is he calling you to feast upon before you put any turkey in your mouth? He wants us to learn to live this life differently, and it starts now. How are you prayerfully going into this week expecting God to work? How are you going in knowing that he's going to push you beyond your limits, but that that's okay because they're not beyond his? Where are you abundant? There's your assignment. We have been made with abundant grace, remade in Christ, filled with this Holy Spirit, but you have particular ways. Some of you are really good listeners. How are you going to use that this Thanksgiving? You've been given abundance of giftedness there. Some of you have lots of money, and there are people around you who need help. How are you going to use that this Thanksgiving? Some of you have time, and there are people around you who need you to use that time for their sake. How are you going to use that this Thanksgiving? We are a people who have already feasted, friends. God wants us to use that intentionally. If you just go in thinking, I'm just going to eat and I'm just going to watch football, then you're going to just eat and watch football, and you're going to have another Thanksgiving like you've always had, half-hearted, half-hearted, not seeing God move with power. But if you go in, surrendered, eager for more, feasting on the grace that is ours in Jesus, then you will have a Thanksgiving like no other. Not because Uncle Billy over there isn't weird and doing weird stuff still at the table. He's weird and he does weird stuff at the table, right? But because you're different. And whether it's planting seeds or watching them grow, God is using you to impact the lives of those he's called you to love. What does that look like, friends? The answer is going to be different in all of our lives, but the challenge is the same. We've been given a feast, friends, from that table. God wants us to go out and love those who need to feast on that same grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, you're the one who tells us that when we delight ourselves in you, you give us the desires of our heart. And we just confess freshly this morning that, Lord, we are those who delight so often in things that are not you. We, f- we feed on food that's not good for our souls. And then we wonder why we're so out of shape spiritually, why we're so tired spiritually, why we're so grossed out spiritually, why we're so full of shame and sadness and all the things that, Lord, we don't want and all the things that you've told us you don't want for us. This morning, Lord, I pray that you'd come and move with power. That you'd meet each and every person in this space, Lord, and those watching online. That you'd meet us where we're at and you would, Lord, nourish us. You would nourish us in a way that says, hey, I get you, I see you. And I'm providing the healing and the wholeness that you're actually looking for. Where we're stuck, Lord, would you, would you break in and destroy those strongholds in Jesus' name? Where we are, Lord, stuck in bitterness, stuck in control, stuck in thinking that you're not good, would you break in, Lord, right now and warm our hearts with your love? 
And would you give us the courage, even this morning, to reach out and open the door of our hearts that you've been knocking on for a long time. Jesus, we want more, even if we don't know how to ask. We want more. We pray that you would minister to us freshly this morning. Have your way, Lord Jesus, and be glorified. In your name alone we pray. Amen.